0: Hello, welcome to another episode of the More Better podcast. I'm your host, Chris, and today it's gonna be a great day. Uh, this episode, I'm commenting on a blog post made from a an acquaintance, if you will, um, talking about some of the current things like Black Lives Matter, police brutality, coronavirus and why those things have become political so it's gonna be awesome all right let's just jump on into it a friend (laughs) a friend wrote a blog post basically showing some frustration on the current environment and her main sentiment of this revolves around one question How are these issues political? How are issues around black lives, police brutality, racial injustice, and coronavirus? How are these things political? And I've actually seen a a few people uh, say this. Uh, Last week, sometime on Twitter, I saw, hey, or I've seen multiple people say, hey, wear a mask. This does not need to be political. Like, don't make it political because it's not political. Same sentiment around Black Lives Matter and police brutality. Hey, don't make it political. So let's answer this question. Why are these things, why do these things become political? And I think it's a good question. Why is it political? Why Why do people look at these issues and they automatically see someone that they trust, what they... Um, politically where they align themselves with and they take on the perspective of what that person takes on so i think you can answer this one or two ways um how does these like how does this how do these issues become political is one way you can answer it two is what does it mean for a topic to become political and is that okay if it's not okay i'll try to answer both of them and by answering the first one, which is how do these things become political? And so let's take police brutality and racial injustice, for example. Um, we can all agree that police brutality is bad. We can all agree that racial injustice is bad. Unless you are a racist, then of course you're going to say it's not bad because you're racist. And according to the world, according to America, most people are not racist. So. We can mostly fully agree that these things are bad. Now, why do people bring into question things like Black Lives Matter? We can, like I've seen many commentators from conservatives to middle people that we can all agree that Black Lives Matter. What we don't agree on is the organization around Black Lives Matter or, um, some of the things that Black Lives Matter pushes as a narrative which is things like police brutality and how bad police brutality is and how bad racial injustice is. And so this is where we start getting this divide and, and thought and where it starts moving into the political sphere. And so before, I mean, before mainstream picks it up, before the whole public picks it up, we have, you know, let's take George Floyd's case. George Floyd gets killed. It's caught on camera. Um, it's really dramatic, really traumatic and the world starts watching it and commenting on it and so it becomes mainstream and what we have is professionals who comment on things that are mainstream and a lot of these people are political commentators and so why why do we have people that are political, political commentators it's because we live in america it's we live in a country where government is supposed to represent the people and is supposed to um, help the people live, protect, protect the economy, protect the people by the military, and um, let us have our freedom, protect our free speech, protect our right to vote, protect our right to work and to provide for our family and to live our lives um, without interruption of the state and without having to defend ourselves against, you know, an over over-crazy... World um, to provide structure and to provide a place for us to live. That's what the government is for. And so we have people that work in government, that the people vote to be in government. We have people that are in office that are supposed to represent the people so that they can provide um, the government, the safety, the protection that the people need to have a, a good and living society. I mean, that's why we have police. That's why we have the military. That's why we have laws and we have the Declaration of Independence and we have the Constitution. Um, That's why we have these things. It's because we have a society. In order for a society to thrive, we need rules. We need fences for people to live and to operate within the same rules with one another so that we can live in a peaceful society. And so whenever big issues come up, like racist racial issues... Um, it's inevitably baked into political problems because it's baked into our society. So when someone, you know, when the civil rights movement was happening, it was, there were race riots, there were race protesting like there are for the George Floyd case. And why are they protesting? They're protesting the government because the government is doing things incorrectly. So they, as what they see, right? So like the civil rights movement, um, was passed in large part due to the protesting, the rioting that was happening, because black people wanted voting rights, they wanted um, protection from the government, and a lot of people believed that that should happen, and it should have. So it needed to become political in order for for our society society to come better. That's the same thing with today. Why is this? Why why are these issues political? It's because it's inevitable that it becomes political because people want government to handle some of these problems, and it should. Um, I think that's obvious. I don't think that gets to the bottom of why these issues are political, or it's not the heart of the question, right? Um, The real question is, like, why do we become so divided over something that seems so simple as, hey, Black Lives Matter and police brutality matter? And racial injustice is bad. Like we can, we should all agree on this, and we should all agree on um, how to fix those problems. Um, but in reality, we don't. We don't have a lot of agreement on those. That's why we have a two, two, a basic or a majority two-party system. That's why we have these two-party systems. Is because we disagree on things, and most people are are more moderate than anything. Um, but that's why we have. We have people that are in these parties because we disagree on how to do that. You know, liberals like um, government that protects its people. They want a safety net for the people. They uh, like welfare and they like their government to, you know, have compassion on their people and to provide, you know, minimum wage laws and to provide um, safety nets and uh, what else? I don't know what else. (laughs) And then conservatives, you know, they want protection for the country. they like a big military. Um, They want the economy to soar. They want protection for the economy and basically get out of of our personal lives. And so, you know, lower taxes. And on the left, it's higher taxes because we want to support the lower income people, stuff like that. So we have, we have different uh, perspectives on how the, how a country should run. And with millions and millions of people in a country That's perfectly fine. It's perfectly reasonable. It's what we should expect in a country to run successfully. It's how we've run for, you know, three hundred years, and that's pretty dang good, in my opinion, to do that. So, (laughs) so back to the question: How are these issues political? It's because we disagree. We disagree on what the problem actually is. Yes, police brutality is bad, but what does that actually mean? How bad is it? And depending on how bad it is, what should the fix be? So that's a disagreement. Racial injustice, racial injustice is bad, but how bad is it and what should we do about it? We disagree on those things. We disagree on how we see those things and how we should deal with them um, as a country, how we should, should we deal with them on the local state government? Should we deal with them on the national side? Should we not deal with them at all? Like Those are disagreements and that's why it's political. So getting into uh, some of this other part of the blog post, um, my friend was writing, and there's a few lines that I wanted to to hit on because I think they're important. Um, and things, mindsets that I've seen in people over a lot of these issues. Um, so one with the uh, Corona, coronavirus, um, like how, how can these things become political if these safety measures are put up in order that people don't die by the thousands or by the millions of people? Like, why are people complaining about wearing masks if this is what's happening and this is the potential of what's happening? And so I go into a little bit of this, um, I was writing earlier about some of my feedback um, so there have been thousands of different corona, but suggesting millions, um, is not in line with the data that it's, that we currently have. Cool. Fine. On top of that, over and over again, the CDC is changing its stance on the virus. So we see almost every day, uh, that things are changing from the perspective and I get that. And she states that in this, like we should be okay with them changing their stance and their perspective because they're scientists and they're doing more each and every day and they're figuring out more and more. Okay, fine. But what about the stories and the data that is coming in multiple times that I've seen stories where it's like there's this many people getting the coronavirus and then there's a story right next to it that's like, oh, a hospital in Florida has recorded 100% um, positive 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 tests positive tests positive test from the coronavirus there's not been one marked as negative and they found out that this was not correct there's been multiple stories of hospitals and testing facilities that have had these issues with testing that the testing is not correct there's also been many death um, deaths that have been, that have been recorded that have actually not been due to a coronavirus, even though they say it's been due to coronavirus. Like there have been multiple things that have come out for both positive tests and for the deaths. And so when you have when you have this whole economy shut down, a whole world shut down, um, and there's countries that are functioning as normal, now they but America's not. We're basically shut down. Um, And we're being super cautious, wearing masks, pushing the mask thing. But the data is continuing to come back over and over again that it's not correct. So you have a whole economy shut down. And people are losing their livelihood because of the shutdown, losing businesses. Um, Kids are not in school. And so parents have to watch after their kids. So you're having this whole meltdown of American society and people are frustrated because the data is continuing to come back and it's not correct. It's, it's a lie. And so how do you trust something that is continuing to tell you lie over and over again? You can't. Does that mean you shouldn't wear a face mask? No. But does that mean that the economy should be shut down? I don't know. But I think people are allowed to have different opinions on it. Um, especially when the data continues to come out to say that the people that are at risk should stay at home. Fine. Let's find a way to provide for them. Let's find a way to get their groceries to them safely. People that have asthma, you know, stay home. But once again, if you're a low-income worker, you need to go to work. Okay, cool. Let's find a way to support them and not get them sick, right? Like there's a way... You can have a different opinion about the situation, um, but still protect your people and that's fine. But I think saying that people are not caring for people because they don't want to wear a mask is irrational because the the data just, I don't know, it just doesn't line up. That's all I'm about to say about that. Let's continue on to this idea. There's a line in here that says, um, Ignoring, arguing, or disagreeing with the existence of police brutality when there is substantial evidence to back up the claim results in the continued execution of black people and continues on. The problem I have with this is that the existence of police brutality is true. If you're looking at police killings um, of unarmed unarmed people, um, the numbers are extremely low, less than 100 or uh, less than 50, I think, unarmed people that have been killed by cops in the last year. Unarmed doesn't mean dangerous. It doesn't mean not dangerous. So if you have a hundred, less than a hundred people, I think it's less than 50 actually, um, of cops killing unarmed people. Does that mean that there is an execution of black people going on? No, unless you think an execution is 50 people, and that doesn't necessarily mean not... not. Uh, it doesn't mean they're harmless. It means that there's stuff going on. Um, does that mean that they were killed unjustly? That doesn't necessarily mean it either. But to suggest that there's an uh, epidemic of police killings in America, I think that's stupid. The data just doesn't support that. Um, it does support that that there are... Minorities are, tend to be roughed up in, from cops more than white people are. And you can debate why that is, and you can debate um, how that's a problem. Of course, I think it's a problem. Like, people shouldn't be roughed up more than others because they're a different color. They shouldn't be played into biases because of that. And so, we should fix that issue. We should fix police brutality from white people to black people, um, Hispanic people every race should be treated fairly by the police. And so fix that, but let's not over-exaggerate on the problem of police brutality to push a narrative that black people are being slain out there by cops. Continuing on this letter, um, one of the things in here that she brings up is people bring up black-on-black crime as a response to Others asking for police brutality to end. It's completely dumb for people to say, like, let's not focus on police brutality because it's really black on black crimes issue. Both are the problem. Now, I actually haven't seen people suggest that um, po- that police brutality should not be should not be dealt with um, only black on black crime. So police brutality is okay, but black on black crime is not. I've only suggest people it's shifting the focus from brutality to black and black crime, because black and black crime is actually way more higher percentage of black people die by other black people than cops from than black people killed from cops. Way higher. I don't know what the percentage is, but it's way higher, it's way more. It's it is an epidemic, black and black crime is, and even black on white crime. Um so suggesting that black and black crime should not be dealt with is stupid, because it should be, and police brutality should be dealt with as well. Um, yeah, another part in this letter tuning on from the black and black crime statement is "Most most people who commit crime in black neighborhoods are caught more, and that's certainly not true even though I get where she's coming from in it. Um, But even from this NPR data, um, it says the data attained by WBs from Illinois, open records law show the city had 849 murders between the beginning of 2018 and this past July. When the victim was white, 40% of the cases were solved during those same 19 months for Hispanics. The rate was 33%. When the victim was African-American, it was less than 22%. So this is a, crime in black neighborhoods and somewhere in Illinois or just Illinois in general, 22% of when the victim was black, only 20, 22% of the crime um, was solved. Now that's not everywhere, but some of the other numbers I saw were uh, 50% go unsolved or 40%. Regardless of the number in the different city, it's telling that there's a lot of crime that goes unsolved, even Um, In black neighborhoods and mostly in black neighborhoods. It's it goes unsolved more So that I think is a completely false false statement Um, The other One of the other things I wanted to hit on is this uh, that she states is sentences handed out to white people versus people of color for the same crime often get lengthier sentences now, this um, does seem to be true, right? So I was just watching Coleman Hughes' video where he says there's multiple studies that have come out to show that this is true. And I've done some research into it, and it does seem that it is true even when you account for um, past past uh, criminal offenses. And I think that was it. Um, so it does seem true. A point that Coleman makes which i thought was interesting is that if you account for the biases in sentencing for people of color compared to white people like how much would that impact the percent of people that get sentenced and that are in prison he suggests that it probably wouldn't be a huge change because the amount of people that commit crime from uh, non-white from non-white people is way higher than white people so the amount of crime that is committed by people that are non-white is way higher way more than white people and so if those people are getting sentenced more than white people can you count all that difference due to racial biases or um, due to uh, biases and sentencing and the answer is no because even if there was zero bias, any zero racism in uh, sentencing for people, that still doesn't get rid of the discrepancy, This the disparity, and does that commit crime. I don't know how big of a difference that would be, but it appears that the sentiment that um, Coleman was bringing up would be true, is that there are still so many more people that commit crime in minority communities due to poverty so that more people in minority communities is going to be in prison than white people because of the crime level. Does that mean that we shouldn't fix the racism and sentencing? No, it doesn't, because we need to fix that. That's horrible. It should be dealt with. But we should also have the perspective that crime is committed more in minority communities because in minority communities uh, impoverished communities. And that is a problem in and of itself, which is why people bring up black on black crime because in impoverished neighborhoods, there's more crime that happens. And that happens to be more with black people than it does with white people. So fix the biases and the racism and the ascendancy and go after a lot more of the issue, which is in impoverished areas and the crime that's happening there, that would be a good place to be. At the end of this letter, um, what you know, what she really wants is for us to come together and to to be better for our nation. For our nation to become better. And that is something we can all agree on, is for our nation to become better. Like, why Why else are we spending time commenting on this? Why are we on Twitter? Why are we on Facebook? Why are we on news channels? It's because um, I think people generally want our nation to become better for everyone. We want to raise the tide. rise Raise the tide. <laughs> we want to raise the tide, and we want people to have a good life. And we don't want government to be impacting people's life in the way that it is. Um, in order to do that, and a lot of the reason why we're arguing is because some of the problems that are identified by, say, Black Lives Matter organization, um, for some people on the left or on the right, is that the problems aren't necessarily the biggest problems or the problems that we should be focusing on. Um, this is where people like Glenn Lowry argue a lot about Black culture, and though, you know, Black culture... Um, has been impacted by things like mass incarceration and racism and slavery and Jim Crow laws. Um, a lot of that has to do with fatherlessness and it has to do with the culture that has been created um, by the system as well as with just the people and the culture in general. And so you have two, two um, you have culture and you have system system your culture (laughs) um so you need to focus and fix both of these things and some people tend to say fix the system and you fix the culture and some people are like fix the culture and the system you know just follows it and i think both are legit like we need to fix problems with the system like we need to fix sentencing problems we need to fix the whole prison system um we also need to fix culture and culture is only going to get fixed by Having empowered fathers, having empowered people, um, education, families, like that's how culture gets fixed is by families and by education and by fathers, mothers as well, mm. um, mentors, people to love and to pour into those people, finances, resources. And a lot of times government is not this is not the best place for a culture to be fixed. Um, if you look at even before the 60s, people were coming out of poverty at an extremely, extremely fast rate. The black community jumped from, it was like, I think they jumped like 20, 20 percent or 40% and out of poverty in like 20 40 years. I forgot what the exact number is. And those numbers are wide. Um, but the point is that the black community was coming out of poverty extremely fast in just a short amount of time. Um, it wasn't until the great society passed laws and the race riots, stuff like that happened. Um, that poverty started to go to, to impact the black community even more. Um, so we can say that like when government gets too involved, this is where conservatives come in. If government gets too involved, it impacts the community at a, it, it impacts community worse. So like, it makes it worse. Like the welfare program made the black community worse the Great Society, aka welfare, and a lot of other things, made the black community worse because the government tried to put its hand in things that it shouldn't have um, and allowed for the community to heal itself. And so there's a fine line, a blurry line, if you will, on what does government do? How does it do it? um, Does it put its hand in it? Does it not? What should it fix? um, How much should it control? And so that's why we argue. That's why we discuss this thing that's why we dive into data and that we um disagree on the outcomes of the data we disagree on the implications of the data and we write articles and we write blog posts and we talk on camera to people that we don't even know um so we can discuss this these issues and that we can actually make our nation better and that's brings me back to my last point is that in order for our nation to become better, we need to be able to talk. We need to be able to communicate. We need to be able to study, research without the impact of people canceling one another and without the, the uh, fear and um, the liability of losing our job and losing, losing you know our well-being, because. You know we want to talk about the data we want to talk about things we want to have opposing opinions we want to have these conversations to make the world better um yeah so let's get rid of let's get rid of racism let's get rid of bias people have let's get rid of horrible um laws let's make the government better let's make it more efficient let's make america greater again (laughs) i'm just kidding about the last part but Let's really make America great. And we can do that. So, thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. Share with friends. Share with your partner, your dog. And subscribe. So, see y'all next time on More Better. Y'all awesome. Thank you for listening to the More Better Show with me, your host, Chris Hume. We will continue to explore topics like culture, politics, the indwelling of love and the power that comes from your beliefs. The more isn't what you do, but who you are. You have more than you think. You are better than you believe. We are the redeemers and reconcilers to a world that is becoming more better. Thank you again for listening and share it with someone you know who could benefit from this episode or any other episode you've listened to. Until next time, you are great. Go. Conquer the day, see you out there.